has nothing to do with my sermon, but I can't help but after seeing a day like we've had with the snow, and if you go out and look at the just the diamond sparkles on the snow out in the front, I think of this passage in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. Come now, and let us reason together, says the Lord, though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So let me encourage you, as you leave today, just look at the front lawn covered in that beautiful white snow and remember that promise that he has washed you, although your sins are as scarlet, as white as snow. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful thought? Terry and Grant and I came yesterday to uh, clear off a little bit of the snow but really, the reason I came was what we did after we shoveled snow and did a few donuts out in the parking lot just to try to get a little of the snow out of the way. <laughs> just the way, it's my heart of service. That's what I do. But uh, after having done a few donuts, I got on the loop and my car was shaking like crazy. And I thought, oh no, what have I done? And I had packed so much snow inside the wheel of my forerunner that it was throwing it off balance, so I thought I'd really mess something bad up. Thankfully, uh, it was all in good fun. Um, have you ever had one of those situations where you meet somebody, maybe you knew about each other, but hadn't had a chance to actually sit down and talk to them, and once you did, you realized that you had all these common interests, mutual friends, shared experiences, and it was as if kind of your two worlds collided, and what were two separate stories just kind of all of a sudden merged into one with all that you discovered that you had in common together. I know I've had some of those experiences sometimes as I've met and visited with people, and, and I think that's exactly what happens in our passage this morning. Luke has been talking about really two separate stories in the biblical narrative. The first story, as we've kind of talked about already, involved a, a man named Zacharias and his wife, Elizabeth. We learn that this husband and wife both come from a priestly lineage. What that means is that their families were faithful servants in the temple, leading people to encounter worshipfully a holy God. During one of those particular days of service, we know that, that Zacharias had a divine encounter. He was visited by the angel Gabriel to inform him that his wife would become pregnant. Now, we know that this was unexpected because his wife was barren. They were unable to have children. And in that culture, she would have lived in disgrace, considered by many to have been cursed by God since she was unable to have children. But Gabriel said, oh, that's not true at all. Elizabeth is not cursed by God. In fact, she is the object of God's grace. She has found favor in his eyes, and she will have a son. And he will make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Like his father, Zacharias, John the Baptist will lead others to humbly encounter a holy God. But instead of serving in the temple, 
he will point people to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Well, about that same time, 75 miles away in the rural region of Galilee, Gabriel makes another visit. And this time he visits a young teenage girl named Mary. Gabriel tells Mary that she too is the object of God's grace. And he goes on to say that she will also become pregnant. She will have a child of her own. But unlike Elizabeth, Mary's not married. She is a virgin. She has never been intimate with a man. So Gabriel explains that this child that she will conceive will be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. It will be a miraculous birth planned by God to uniquely reveal His love for the world. In fact, the child will be God incarnate. Not a a separate God set apart from the one true God, not not a created being, but instead, Gabriel explains that he'll be the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature. Everything you see in Jesus will be true of God because God will enter the world through the life of this child. Jesus, as we sang this morning, is our Emmanuel. God with us. So these two miracles took place in accordance with God's grace, each with a divine purpose and deeply connected to one another. These two miracles are now going to move from this isolated experience to now a shared experience. For Mary and Elizabeth, their worlds are about to collide. And what we'll see is the praise that exists in one will now be magnified by the other. So before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so so much for the truth of your word and just the exciting good news of the peace that has come. Our God, Emmanuel, with us through the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord. That this morning, as we are reminded again of the truth of this story, that it would impact us in a way that we would be compelled to give praise. Just like Mary, just like Elizabeth, just like all those involved in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And anyone who humbly encounters a holy God. May that be true of us this morning as we look at your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to go back to a couple of the verses that we looked at last week and uh, carry on from there. So Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Luke chapter 1, verse 36. Mary has had uh, the encounter with the angel Gabriel. He's explained to her all that would happen. And then he says in verse 36, And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she, who was called barren, is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, 
the bondslave of the Lord, be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to the city of Judah. Now, I want to pause here because I want us to see the truth of how eager obedience always follows humble surrender. Eager obedience always follows humble surrender. As the angel departed, it tells us that Mary left in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And you need to know that this would not have been an easy journey. In fact, it was a journey that probably would have taken at least three days. Remember, Mary's a teenage girl, maybe 15 years old at the time. And yet, She's going to travel from the Valley of Galilee 75 miles to the hill country of Judah. It would have been quite a trek. So you don't make this trip if you're not convinced that what you've been told is true. And I'm inclined to believe that Mary was willing to obey because she was ready to obey. The song she will sing, as we will soon see as we look at that together, is filled with Old Testament scriptures. Many scholars say there's at least 15 different discernible quotations in her song of praise. So, as we talked about last week, Mary's not troubled by the news of a Savior. The scripture is filled with that promise. Mary is troubled in trying to figure out how she could possibly be used by God to bring that promise to fulfillment. But once it is explained, she's quick to obey. She went in haste to visit her cousin Elizabeth. She said, I am a bond slave of the Lord. In other words, Lord, I surrender my life so that you might accomplish your purpose in me, whatever that may be. Eager obedience always follows humble surrender. Now look at verse 39. Now at this time, Mary rose and went with haste to the hill country to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And it came about then when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What we see happen here in this brief encounter is a foretaste of what is to come. It says that John, in, his, in the womb of his mother, leapt with excitement when Mary's voice was heard. John, yet in the womb, announces the arrival of Jesus the Savior, a role that he will have for the rest of his life. And in that instant, the Scripture tells us that Mary was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want us to understand the importance of what that phrase means. Luke actually uses the very same phrase three times in this first chapter of his Gospel. He, he uses it in verse 15 when he says that John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. Zacharias will 
used that same phrase when prophetically describing the role of his son as the forerunner to the Messiah. And then we see it here when Elizabeth encounters Mary. In each situation, Luke uses this phrase to, deva- to validate the, the divine origin of the words or the actions that are to follow. These are people who have placed their faith in God. But this filling of the Spirit is a, a special endowment to fulfill a divine purpose. And I think that Luke uses it in his gospel like a stop sign. He wants us to read it and get our attention and know without any question in our minds that what is about to follow will be a direct revelation from God. So look at what he says next in verse 42. Elizabeth speaking and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed among women are you and blessed is the fruit of your womb. How is it? That it happened to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the the baby leapt in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her by the Lord. If you'll remember from Brian's sermon a couple of weeks ago, he said that when people encounter the living God, They are compelled to sing God's praise. And I believe that's exactly what's happening right here in our passage this morning. Elizabeth is singing the praise of God's promise. Mary hasn't said a word other than a a greeting as she enters the room, but yet instantly, Elizabeth proclaims a truth, a prophetic truth that could only have come from God Because she has been filled with the Holy Spirit. She knew Mary was pregnant. This would just be days after the announcement from the angel Gabriel. So there are no physical signs that this would be the case. And yet she says, blessed are you. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And remember that that Mary is a young teenage girl who is engaged, but, but not married officially. They have not consummated this uh, a relationship. And so if she's engaged and pregnant, that's not exactly good news. Unless, unless her pregnancy is a work of God and not the work of man. Elizabeth says... How has this happened? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, is testifying to the divine nature of Mary's child. How is it that the mother of my Lord would come to me? She knew that God would be revealed through the life of this child. Both her and the child in her womb, both of which who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, know that Jesus would fulfill the promise of God. And she praised Mary for her faithful obedience. Blessed are you who believed what God has said to you. These two women 
have now moved from this isolated experience to, to now a shared experience. Their worlds have collided. And the praise of one is now magnified by the other. See, I think it's interesting that, that Elizabeth wasn't jealous of her young cousin Mary. After all, she had been barren most of her life, unable to have child, and yet she rejoices in Mary's pregnancy because she knew that the child that Mary would bear would fulfill the promise of God. And so did Mary. Look at what she says, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. And holy, holy is his name. Mary's song of praise is what has been called the Magnificat. It's a, a Latin word used to describe her song of praise. It means to exalt or to bless as she exalts the Lord. Mary uses words and phrases taken straight out of the Scripture. She says, my soul exalts in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. These are scriptural truths that are found all throughout the Psalms. Spiritual truth that Mary undoubtedly has poured over. And now they pour out of her. The Psalms she read now become the Psalms she sings. She begins by praising God. For his work in her life. She's humbled. Knowing that she is the object of God's grace. Having found mercy in his eyes. She's covered by that mercy. She's found favor in his sight. Not because of what she's done for him. But as she says. Because of the great things. He has and will continue to do. In her. She says, generations of people, and I believe including generations of people in the room this morning, they will count her as blessed. And when you hear that phrase, to be blessed, I want you to think about what that means and understand what Mary is saying. A person who is blessed is one who finds delight in God's favor. They see where God is at work and they find great joy in being a part of that work. They are blessed to be involved in the work of God. That's where they find their delight and that's what Mary's saying. She's saying, I'm blessed to be counted worthy to be a part of what God is doing for the life of the world. She's not promoting herself, she's exalting God. We see that in verse 49. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary is saying, I am blessed because of God's amazing grace. My joy comes from believing in his word. My praise is in his promise fulfilled. The words of scripture that she poured over now pour out of her. 
as she sings the praise. Look at verse 50 as she continues. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in their thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He's given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy. He spoke to the fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary goes on from explaining how God has been so gracious to her to talk about how that goes way beyond her to generations after generations of people, including the people in this room. Because you too are the object of God's grace. He wants none to perish, but all to come to a place of repentance. And if you delight in God's favor, then like Mary, you are blessed. But this is only true, as Mary says, for those who humbly surrender, those who eagerly obey. You may remember from our study of James, we learned that God opposes the proud. And he gives grace to the humble. This is essentially what Mary has just proclaimed. Mary said that all throughout history, God has scattered those who have been proud in heart. So humble yourself in the presence of the Lord, as James says, and he will exalt you. Mary then points to God's faithfulness to those who are hungry those who are poor, those who are servants. And I think this has as much to do with the spiritual reality as it does a physical reality because it reminds me of the promise of Jesus in Matthew's gospel when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. He said, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For in the kingdom of heaven, he goes on to explain, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. In fact, Jesus told his disciples, listen, if you want to be first, then here's what you do. You become a servant of all. It's not like the world's economy where it's a rise to the top of the ladder. It's not even like a religious idea that you're going to do some great thing for God. It's the humble opinion that God's greatest gift is the work of salvation through faith in Christ alone. And by God's grace, that message has come to you. Mary said, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The same that is true for her is equally as true for you. She found joy in believing God's word. She sang the praise of his promise. Her greatest delight was to be a part of fulfilling God's will. Behold, she said, I am your bond slave. May it be done to me according to your word. Now, last week I made a statement that I want to 
emphasize again this morning because I'm convinced that Mary would affirm the truth of that statement because of what we see in her song of praise this morning. What I said was this, that the response that we see of Mary and and Elizabeth was not extraordinary as much as it was more of a biblical norm. When humble hearts encounter a holy God, they delight in His goodness. They delight in His mercy. They delight in His grace. They are compelled to sing God's praise. They rejoice in His promises. So here's what I want to encourage you to do this week. And let me urge you, in the midst of all that's going on, please, please take some time to do this and you will be blessed because you do. I want you to take some time just to be quiet before the Lord. You might open your Bible to the Psalms. It's a great place. We see the Psalms all throughout Mary's song. So you too, open the book of Psalms and just begin to read some of those songs of praise and and reflect on those those words. And, And as you do... This, this is what I want you to do. I want you to write your own Magnificat. You write your own Magnificat. Now, for some, that might come very naturally because it's not hard to see the evidence of God's blessing all in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your workplace. But for others... God's blessing may feel more scarce. Sometimes it's hard to see where his hand is at work when you find yourself in a hard place. So let me encourage you to do this. Because I believe this will apply to every one of us regardless of where we find ourselves. Write your Magnificat in the light of the gospel. Write your Magnificat in light of of the gospel. Take some time to reflect on God's promises to generations past. For example, you might think back to what we talked about last week, about this promise to David that through his line would be a son who would rule from an eternal throne. And we know to whom that belongs. You might think about the words of Isaiah. We talked about last week when we celebrated communion together, that promise of one who is to come who will be pierced for our transgressions, be crushed for our sins because the punishment that we deserved fell on him. Think about the promise that by his wounds you will be healed. Maybe you want to think about the words of Zechariah. We're going to look at these, but take a look at in chapter 1, verses 68 through 79. Just read through those as you spend time in the Word. Let me just read verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for has vi- who has visited us and accomplished His redemption for His people. That's a truth. That's a promise that was fulfilled through the person and work of Christ, and it should bring praise to your heart, knowing that it's true. But not only are they true in the past, 
you can be equally as confident that those same promises are true in the present and they're true for you. Because you are the object of God's grace. Christ died for your sins. And though your sins were as scarlet, you are now as white as that beautiful snow outside. Just like we see with Mary, the truth of God's word has been revealed to you. Each time we open this book, you hear the words that God breathed and has spoken to you. Generation after generation will see the blessing and give God praise because of what he has done in you. God has done great things for you. And holy, holy, holy is his name. Even if you don't have worldly treasure, you can be certain you are rich in love. Even if you find yourself in a hard place, you can be certain your inheritance is secure. Like Job, you can proclaim, I know that my Redeemer lives, and in the end, He will stand upon the earth. And there will be a day when His redemption is made complete. And that promise of redemption has been revealed to you. So please, please don't let the busyness of this season blind you of the blessing that God has made available to you. And if you would, just take some time to consider the truth of those promises that have been made to you, fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ, so that you can appreciate why you and I should be just like Mary and Elizabeth and sing praise in his promises fulfilled. We have a Magnificat that each and every one of us should be able to write because of what he has done. Great things he has done. And holy is his name. So before we leave this morning, I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to begin to think about that, to prime the pump, if you will. And just maybe look at some of those passages. Maybe what you can do right now is read 68 through 79 of chapter 1 in Luke's gospel. And just let those words soak in. And then we're going to sing a, a song that we sang, or actually we didn't sing earlier, but the song you're familiar with, just kind of as our benediction as we end our time this morning. But before we go there, be quiet, be still, and be present before the Lord as you read those words, verses 68 through 79. Write your Magnificat. For generations, people will look on you and call you blessed. Because the word of God has come to you and the promise of God has been fulfilled for you. We should be compelled to sing his praises. Oh, and do just that. You're dismissed.